Hello, and welcome to Securing Sexuality, the podcast where we discuss the intersection of intimacy and information security. I'm Wolf Gorlick. He's a hacker, and I'm Stephanie Gorlick. She's a sex therapist, and together we're going to discuss what safe sex looks like in a digital age. Today, we're joined by Apollyon, the founder of Submit, uh, one of the few websites that I went to and I read their description. And I went, Yes, like from a security perspective, from a privacy perspective, I'm like, oh, you guys are speaking my language. But, but as I say that, I'm sure everyone else is wondering, and I'll ask the question to you, Apollyon, what is Submit? Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on the show. So Submit is a new social network for BDSM and kink-focused people. And our goal really was that we looked at what was there today. We said, these aren't really doing the job from a, a safety, security, privacy perspective. So why don't we go and build something new, taking those core tenets into, into account for what we want to build. And so Submit is a privacy first uh, and sort of extremely inclusive social network that's being built for the ground up for those communities. Also pretty damn secure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I've got all the security questions, but I will I will pause and yield the floor to my lovely wife, who probably has all the king questions. I am going to tell you a story that our listeners have heard a couple times, but I think it really emphasizes why we were so excited to hear about Submit. Last summer, I, before the, the decimation of the joy that was Twitter, got a message there. And somebody said, you know, hey, I, I know your books. I know your work. You you." are an expert in BDSM and kink. I know that you work with kinky clients. I'm building a new kinky dating website. I would love for you to share it with your people. And most people in my world, I mean, I'm a, I'm a social worker by training. I'd be like, yes, new resource. So excited. Can't wait to share. But I'm, I'm married to a hacker. And as many of our listeners have heard, I was suspicious or <laughs> as the children these days would say. And I said, you know, let me think about it. Let me look at it and, and let me let me get back to you. And I immediately signaled a friend of ours who's a, a penetration tester. And I said, you know, obviously you can't do anything you're not allowed to do. You don't have a contract with them. They're not giving you permission to do anything. But just poke at the stuff that's open to the public and let me know if this is something I can, <laughs> I can share with my clients because my clients do desperately want and need a reliable kinky dating site. And it took less than 30 minutes for our friend to come back and be like, well, here are their users' Pinterest profiles, and here are their users' Facebook pages, and here's here's their kids' soccer team information. And that's just what he was able to get in faster than a pizza, only looking at what was publicly available that he could do without getting into any no-no areas. And so I wrote back to that, that person, and I said, you know, here are my concerns. And I just never heard from them again. Ever. There was no response. And, and I suspect that site is still out there. And I suspect that there are other people that are proponing those sites. And that is why I think what you're doing is so important is because most of the time people don't think about it. They don't even know what questions to ask. And then people like our friends can find their kids soccer teams. I think that brings up a huge problem in the space. And one of the things that I've seen, especially when I first did my research early on to say, hey, is this something that we should spend the time to build and I should go and risk my professional reputation <laughs> doing? And you know, what we looked at and we saw was, you know, there's one place that exists today and we all know what it is for the most part, right? It's okay. I'm trained myself not to say it because we don't mention it on our platform, but it's FetLife. We all know what that is and it, it's there. And 
we looked at that and said, okay, what are the competitors that have come by since then? And they're all just one-off people that had this idea in their basement and they're like, oh, I really want to do this thing, but I don't know how to do it. And they go online, they search for a WordPress plugin that does social networking or dating, and they go toss that up and like, okay, I have this great website and you guys should all go to it, not taking into account what security is, what data privacy is, what any of the things that are important to the people in this space need for that website. They don't have that understanding. They think that they're going to toss this thing up in a week or a weekend. They're going to make some money and it's going to work and it's going to be great. And they're going to be the new king of their social network. And as we've seen, the, the road to where we are today is littered with, I don't know, probably a couple hundred attempts to do this, but no one's ever actually really managed to dethrone what exists today. So we took that approach quite different. And we started two years ago from, let's start with privacy first, security first, and Actually, to be perfectly fair, legal first. <laughs> we started with a very large legal framework before we even started writing code. And, and then from there, moved on to say, hey, look, let's, let's get something that's actually going to do what people want and in a way that people want it. So when we're talking about BDSM and, and kink and uh, the tech spaces that bring us all together, you know, one of the things, of course, I've learned from Stephanie and, and her work is this concept of RAC, right? Yep. Risk-aware consensual kink. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, how do you see what Submit is building in that context in terms of being risk aware, in terms of being consent first? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, that's a great question. Um, so one of the things that we do is as we start to, to build out some of the technology that we have is Rack actually kind of came in early on as a core concept of what we wanted to promote from an educational perspective, right? Helping people understand that there is risk inherently in just being on a social network that's associated with kink BDSM and trying to educate folks on that, trying to educate them on how to make sure that if you're sharing these things, you need to understand the risks that are associated with that. And then further to that, right, we see today, and I know we all probably see it, but no matter what, we get all sorts of unwanted, non-consensual sexual advances online in all sorts of different ways. And so we looked at saying, hey, how do we start this out by building on the right framework to prevent that from happening so that when you are online and on our platform, A, you understand the risks that are associated with it, and B, you are fundamentally giving your consent to every single action and step that you take. And we have a system actually built in. Um, it's, it, we have two systems that are kind of core to this, right? One is Vault, which is where we store all of your data. And then two, we call it Ascent. And that's the consent system that exists. And so every single time that you do something, you're actually giving consent to do that on the platform. We're training you to understand what that means and what that looks like from, from each step that you take. And we also explain, hey, you're joining this group. Here's the data the group's going to see. Do you consent to join this group? You can revoke your consent anytime. And the second that you do, everything you've ever done in that group disappears. It's gone. It's removed from the group. No one can see it. And so we're starting to work on bringing that process in. Same with messaging, same with you know, every step that you take on the platform, um, as well as the education components that exist or that we're currently building so that they will exist. So what does that look like in practice? What, what can users do on submit? You have your standard social networking function. So you can post, you can share photos, media, video, you can write educational programs, you can share tasks. And some of these features were, they aren't quite out yet, but they're things that we either have ready or, or launching shortly. You can join groups. Uh, there are events and all, all standard sort of social networking features. Where we kind of go is we introduce something called circles. And so 
let's say that you join the social network. Let's say you join Twitter today and you have 20 million followers. Well, that's it. You have 20 million followers. And the only way that you can share content is to those 20 million followers or everyone. We take that a step further and say, okay, you can create a circle of people that you trust or people that you only want to share with. And you can create up to, uh, I believe it's six or 20, depending on the type of account that you have, circles that let you control exactly what you share. Because the reality is, I think you know, there's an there's a influencer culture that exists where people really want to have a lot of followers. But the reality of social networking for most people is it's moving smaller to groups that we trust, to individuals that we trust, and, and smaller sets of groups. And so we wanted to give you the ability to have that control, to say, I only want to share this content with these people and nothing else. And so that's what our circle stuff does. And that's sort of the, the key driver to building out the social privacy and social consent framework that exists within the platform. I am getting ready to give a talk this coming week. And yeah, they asked me to talk about our work around securing sexuality. But usually when Wolf and I do that, it's something we do together. And, you know, I've given talks on 10,000 years of cyber sex history, and I've given talks on how to be a more effective leader. But this is actually, weirdly, my first ever mental health talk for technologists. And and it left me a little hung up and until I kind of have been thinking about this idea of loneliness as a vulnerability and, and of patching for loneliness and of coding for authenticity. And one of the things that Wolf and I were talking about earlier today was, you know, social media is designed to keep people engaged. It's designed to keep people there. You know, it's clicks and views and scrolls, and that's how they monetize us. And um, we were we were jokingly saying, you know, we needed, I, one of my messages needs to be that people need to be coding to make things slippery, not sticky. Yeah. Code to get people offline and engaging in the real world. That's, that's really <laughs> funny that you brought that up. And one of the, we actually, so we have a huge Discord server where a lot of our community spends their time in, and we open up everything that we do to feedback. And say, hey, we want your feedback. Tell us what you think is working. Tell us what you don't think is working. And one of the goals that we had was I didn't want to build something that created like extreme dopamine loops. I don't want you to get addicted to doing certain types of behaviors, right? Looking at, oh, this is how many likes I have, or this is what's happening. And I really need this this next hit of dopamine from the, the social interaction that I'm getting on the platform. And so we, we saw pushback when we started to design systems that didn't do that, that, w- that would let you not build that addictive loop into it. And the second that we took away some of those things that normally they're expecting to see, um, you know, targeted notifications, the ability for you to really get in-depth details as to your engagement and driving that dopamine loop, as soon as we took that away, we saw people <laughs> start to revolt, first of all, because they'd be like, wait, where's all my things that I'm used to getting? And why aren't I addicted to this? I want to be addicted to this. And um, But as we started to push past that, people then actually started to see, hey, I can have real interactions again, and I can start to actually talk to people in a way where I feel comfortable and safe, and I'm not just chasing that next like, and I'm not just doing that, and I'm starting to post content that's actually relevant and means something to me. Uh, and so that's sort of where we were at with that, right? We don't want to build those loops to to create that just for the sake of creating that. Yeah, that authenticity is so hard to find. And I say that as a person who's still a recovering Twitter addict. Oh, yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. <laughs> And we're, I'm seeing some of the same things on on Instagram. So we've got uh, we've got this meme account, and Stephanie and I and a couple other people share posting on it. And and I drive her nuts. I'm like, oh, my post got like three more <laughs> followers. Stuart, she's like, what? Put your phone down. <laughs> Just back away. But one of the things you said earlier reminds me of this account because I am I am clueless. I am uh, a guy who moves to the world like a guy. 
And so someone messages me and I'm like, oh, they're being friendly. And they send me a something. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I, I say this to her and she goes, and then they, then they sent you the dick pic. And, that, <laughs> and then that's where it went. I said, I thought he was just being nice. I just out of the blue, like, how, I'm like, I'm doing fine. How are you? Because there's no gender, you know, they don't know. <sighs> this is why you need our bot, Dick Detective. Is that what you build? Yeah. So we have a bot. And what the bot does is, and I, to this day, I still might regret naming it what I named it because <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about that in a moment. But what the bot does is it uh, scans all media and messages prior to them being sent uh, for genitals. And so if you send someone a dick pic, you can't send them a, an unsolicited dick pic. If you try and go into a group thread and post your dick pic, you can't. We're going to catch that and say, no, we might even give you a, like a little bot rating being like, you know, you might want to maybe try like penis enlargement. I don't know. It could work for you. The bot, the bot we're just going to start to shame them a little bit. And so <laughs> just to start to discourage this type of behavior from happening. But the key goal is that we don't want a platform full of people trying to send around unsolicited genital photos. It doesn't necessarily just have to be dick pics. It happens with other things too. Uh, obviously not as much as men. I don't know why, but we just seem to be proficient at really sending dick pics. Um, so I'm sorry for that, but we we basically have worked really hard to stop this process from happening. Now we also, unfortunately, we named our bot in our Discord Dick Detective because that's our bot. And so when you started to get your early access invite to submit, it was from Dick Detective. And so some people didn't know what that was. And it was really fun to watch a couple thousand people be like, why is this bot named Dick Detective or Dick Doctor or what? And we used to get these hilarious names like the Dick guy messaged me. I'm like, oh, no, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I know that there's some other places that are starting to do that, too. Dating sites specifically have been working pretty hard on that. So I have to tell you, I have a friend who in our single days when she got unsolicited dick pics would send back pictures of like cheese cubes and almonds. (laughs) And when she got the inevitably confused response from the sender, she would just say, oh, well, clearly you love Vienna sausages. And I thought we were sharing our favorite hors d'oeuvres. So I sent you cheese and almonds. (laughs) And it was just like such a weird like What's the term? I don't know. It's just like out of left field sort of thing, but slides in that subtle little, you've got a penis like a Vienna sausage. It just really, like, I don't know. I, I admired the finesse of that response. The cheese like moments always got me. <laughs> are, there, are there other things that you are putting into the platform? You know, as you, you mentioned, like maybe I'd pop up a message. I'm reminded of uh, behavior science. I'm reminded of things like, uh, nudges, right? We want to give people lots of freedom within the platform, but we also want the platform to um, display affordances in terms of what people should do, as well as, you know, gently, and sometimes not so gently, uh, but gently, you know, push back when they when they shouldn't do things. Are there other things within that same realm that you're doing within the same realm as your detective bot to, uh, to help the community. There are. Um, we have a whole bunch of different things, and we work with a couple of really great partners to help us in this. I don't know if you've heard of Thorn, which runs Safer, but they're a anti-child exploitation. Uh, they build like really amazing technology to help with, with child uh, safety online. And so one of the things that we worked with them on was first, of course, um, you know, our automated scanning system, which any media that you put into submit, we obviously scan to make sure that it's not um, CSAM or CSAM, any of that type of content. So we, we flag for that immediately. But then we also do a couple of other things. So one, we have a new tool that we've been working with pretty hard um, on grooming detection. So it helps us figure out when someone's trying to groom, specifically groom um, in a 
mostly in a sex trafficking type of way. So we look for that type of content that's coming across the platform. We also scan for um, all manner of hate speech. I mean, it's the the engines that we use for that are just, they're, they're really complex at this point because unfortunately hate speech is really complex. So we, you know, we will give you warnings too. So if like, if you're, if your text is starting to kind of skew towards that, we'll say, Hey, this kind of looks like it might be hate speech and maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and we start to then, basically kind of gently nudge you. And then if you start to really get down the road, we will time you out or, or worse, we'll ban you. And one of the things that we've kind of made clear to everyone that's in our community today, is being on submit is a privilege. And if it's something that you choose to abuse, you don't need to be on submit anymore. We're not shy to throw you off the platform. And we are transparent about it. When that happens, we have a transparency reporting section. You can go check it out. You can see who we banned. We can, we'll tell you why they banned uh, what would happen, what was going on. Sometimes we don't always um, identify them because either there's law enforcement involved, there's an active investigation going on, uh, and that's already happened a few times. But for the most part, you know, we'll, we'll call out why you got thrown off the platform. So I'm on, uh, I'm on the Fediverse now because I've recovered from Twitter by moving on to Mastodon, of course, <laughs> as one does. As one does. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, a gentleman, a friend of mine who's running some of the servers said something, and I want to run this by you. He said that the product that social media provides the users, the product is the moderation. I think if we looked at it five, six years ago, we would say that the product was the dopamine hit and the addiction. But now we've moved past that. We start to realize that we want safer places to be and to talk and places to feel comfortable. So yeah, I do think now in this day and age, it is moderation for sure. And that's a huge focus for us. How do we do that in a way that makes people feel safe and also included? When, when I teach about um, negotiating different desires with my couples, I talk about building fences, not walls, about defining what the area of play is instead of creating barriers that are off limits. And that can be really difficult to do online because we want our users to be safe. Hell, if I'm the user, I would like to be safe. Please, somebody somewhere make me safe. Um, <laughs> sorry, woman on the internet, it came out. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we look at things like Instagram, where moderation happens in such a sometimes heavy handed way, the actual dick pics get through and Oscar Wilde quotes get censored. And I'm wondering how you do that work of building fences without putting up barriers to engagement? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. And it's one of the reasons why we actually started early on. Um, when we first, so we actually launched accidentally kind of in February, um, not intentionally, but we were like, oh, we're only going to have like 500 people and it'll be no big deal. We have like over 100,000 on our wait list now and it's insane. But one of the things that we started early on was that we said, hey, we need to collect community feedback and get community engagement in our policy development and in some of our moderation development. And so what we started out early on was a large discussion, a set of discussion forums around the different types of guidelines and fences that we want to set up and then collect community feedback on that. And so one of the reasons why we built the transparency reporting system was so that when we do make moderation actions, we can collect feedback on them to say, hey, this feels like it might be word pleasing. Like early on, uh, if you went back to like February, we were really, really great at word policing. Like we could have been word police Olympic champions for a couple of weeks there. And as we learned and, and got better at it, we said, okay, we're not building fences at this point. We're building monster sized walls that we're not doing a good job of. And we, we stepped back and scaled back from there. And so 
as we kind of continue to build that out and build those processes out, we continue to go back to the community and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we think we, we should work. And then you guys give us your feedback and make sure that we're doing this in a way that makes you feel safe. One of the big pieces that, of course, is important to us uh, is safety for women on the platform, right? It's one of the key reasons why we started building Dick Detective and some of the other types of tools that we have to help you prevent, you know, people stalking you, unsolicited pictures, um, all of the types of horrible behavior and like shaming behavior that happens from just, you know, assholes that are on the internet. And so we work really hard to help prevent that and create those experiences where you still feel safe, but you don't feel like you have some sort of overburdened level of policy and, and guidelines that are sort of limiting your ability to share or do that. There are some uh, exceptions to that, mostly around legal things. So things that are basically illegal or things that will like absolutely get us kicked off of um, our infrastructure providers. So certain types of content we just can't support. We have to put a wall up. But for the most part, we're pretty good about making sure that we go back to the community and say, hey, this is the new thing that we did. Tell us if we did it right. Tell us if we did it wrong and, and help us sort of shape that. And it's worked out really good so far. I love that. I, I feel like I'm going to have to join the site. <laughs> I mean, we, we would love to have you. <laughs> so jumping back to something you were saying earlier, right? you're talking about assent, this idea mm -hmm. of consent grants and, um, and the ability to say, I'm gonna, uh, I want to share this here, or when I join that, that's going to open me up over there, and, and those sort of things. The other thing you mentioned was vaults. Mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about what, what is a vault? Yes, absolutely. So Traditionally today, when you join a social network, you share, if we, if we go step back and look at what the social network itself does, all of your data is stored with everybody else's data. It's mixed together in a, a giant table in a database. And all your comments are essentially, you know, everybody's comments are all stored together. Everybody's photos are all stored together. They mix and match everything and they kind of just pull it out, right? That's traditionally how we built software for the last well, 30 years or more because it's efficient. It's what we know how to do. But what that doesn't do is it makes it really difficult for you to have feel like you have a sense of ownership around the things that you're actually posting on the platform as well. It can be really difficult, as we see in other places, for platforms to go back and show you everything you've actually posted and then remove everything that you've actually posted if you do want to do that. So we took this and sort of flipped it on its head and uh, we said, all right, you know what? Everything that you post on the platform is going to exist in one place, your vault. And that's it. It doesn't exist in a bunch of shared tables. It's just simply in your vault. So when you create an account, you set up a new vault that actually exists in our system. When you also set up your account, you create a set of keys that help you access that vault, right? So you create a, it's a, it's a public key system that exists. You have a public and a private key. They get generated. They're associated with the passphrase that you use in the platform. And we sign everything that you post in that vault. So as well as generate a grant for every single type of content that you create. So anytime you post a comment, post a video, uh, media, photo, whatever it might be, we generate an underlying cryptographic grant that validates that that content hasn't been modified and that you've given us permission to post it there. You can rip those grants away and it'll disappear from the platform entirely, but it'll still live in your vault until you choose to remove it. If you also want, you can revoke the platform grant. And if you do that, that just means... Everything that you have in your vault disappears from submit, but it stays in your vault until you choose to remove it again. You can also then reuse it if you wanted to on the platform at a later point in time. Everything on the vault, or sorry, in the vault, is stored encrypted by default. So we leverage the keys that we generated for you to do that. Every single year has its own individual key along with your own passphrase. We don't backdoor them, so we can't see what you do. Uh, we don't have any types of, so like those keys are straightforward. I, 
I love this part because when people are like, oh, what happens if I get my, if you take my encrypted backup? And I said, nothing, because I can't access it. I don't have your private key. Like, I don't know what's in there. No, we scan everything before it goes into the vault, right? So we're making sure that you're not putting, you know, creating a vault full of, of CSAM or something like that, which we don't want. And we're going to, that will never change. We will always do that. We have to. Uh, I think it's about the only reason law enforcement still lets us exist as a platform is that we do that. So, so we've had some fun meetings with the DOJ about originally we were going to build submit uh, as a part of the Fediverse, and that quickly came back, and they're like, "No, no, you should not do this unless you want to spend a long time in jail." And I was like, "Okay, so centralized centralized moderation is important." Um, and so, yeah, that was a, a key driver for that. We also probably one of the reasons why right now we don't have it. We may or may not do it in the future. But we could easily, trivially, can support end to end encrypted messaging in about three seconds. So it's something that we want to get to, but we're still working with some of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Some of the realities of running an adult focused platform, uh, along with the current sort of government views of what platforms like this have. So we're, we're working through that. So as we're talking through all this, I'm sure my wife is going, uh, okay. <laughs> Don't underestimate me. I have been hanging out with hackers for a long time now. Just because I can't do it doesn't mean I don't understand it. I am very adjacent at this point. <laughs> it, as you lay all that out, I mean, I'm I'm very excited because, like, at, given the hacker mindset, I mean, that is what I would want to build. I would want to build a lot of exactly what you're saying, right? That that public private key pair, having it. Uh, Having it only in the hands of the users, having the ability to revoke consent from the platform, from others, everything you just laid out, which makes me wonder, along this journey, how are you making sure it continues on the right trajectory and that you're you know, avoiding all the common mistakes that can happen when you're writing code? Oh, 100%. Um, so internally, we have a, right now, we have quarterly audits from an external security provider. Uh, we go back and forth between Mandiant and a few others that we use, as well as a couple of smaller but more niche firms that are specialized in cryptography and um, like specific peer-to-peer types of communication, because some of the underlying stuff was originally built for decentralization. Some of that tech still exists, so we also test against that. Like We have an internal DNS resolution system for the ability to uh, decode usernames back into vault addresses if we need to. So one of the things that we do is each quarter we have a security review. We have a penetration review that comes in from those experts. They give us a report. We work through that. One of the goals that we have is starting in 2020, what year is it? 2024. Uh, we'll be releasing transparency reports with included with those security reports as well, as well as a audit report from um, that we'll be doing annually. So as we get ready and we're still in the middle of launching, we're not quite ready to do this yet. But the initial goal is that we'll move into security transparency reporting in about early 2024 uh, with strong details about you know exactly how the each quarter went, each review went, what we had to fix, what we had to change, and what kind of vulnerabilities might have existed for a period of time. Um, and we will be opening up a penetration testing program and a reward program. Yeah, Bug Bounty. Uh, I think it's like, I'm trying to remember what legal said, but I think it's like the beginning of Q4 this year is when it turns on. Yeah, so it's it's a huge priority for us. I mean, we're not perfect. I'm an engineer. I don't write perfect code all the time. I'm perfectly aware of that. I, I very much know that. Uh, our team that we have today, they're also great, all experts in their own field, but none of us are perfect. And so it's important that we get external validation as often and regular as we can. I think that perfect is an unreasonable standard. I don't know that anybody 
moving in the the world of online, everything today expects perfection. That's why Target leaked my bank information. That's why, you know, I mean, everywhere we go, there are vulnerabilities. And I think the people are looking for exactly what you're describing. They're looking for conscientiousness. They're looking for genuine concern. They're looking for people that don't consider safety and privacy to be boxes to tick off in order to get the next round of funding, but it's things that are really core elements of what they want for what they're building. And that, I think, is a really powerful thing to hear you describe. I don't hear that very often. Well, I think it all stems from the intent that someone has for what they're building, right? If you, if I set out for the intent to build submit with something that was going to turn, you know, where I was going to go raise money from, where I was going to make hundreds of millions of dollars as a social network, then my intent would be to build it as fast as I can and treat security and privacy as those checkboxes. That's not our intent. We know a platform like this is niche. It's never going to make tons of money. It's not designed to make tons of money. It's designed to hopefully break even one day and support itself. And that's kind of the extent of what it's designed to do. And so because we understand that, because we set out with that goal, we get to avoid those trappings of saying, oh, I need to, to move as many features forward as fast as I can to get that next uh, fundraiser or to get that next investor on board. We don't want that. We're not taking money. We want to build things right. We took two years to get a, a fraction of what we actually want out of the door because we're building it correctly and we're building it at least as best as possible as we can and then validating that we're doing it. And you're absolutely right. Perfection is impossible to attain. But in the cases when I target, there's also things that you could have just done that would have prevented a lot of that, and they're pretty basic. So like, there's some things where I think we need to have a basic standard of this is okay and we should be doing this. And then there's some stuff where, yeah, if a zero day comes out tomorrow and I don't know anything about it and it affects a whole bunch of my infrastructure, sure, there's absolutely nothing I can do about that. Nobody knew it was coming, and that's going to be the reality of what happens. That's why we, you know, that's why we have uh, cyber insurance and E&O insurance. But, um, you know, the core things that we know we can stop, we can do that and we should do that. And those should be our focuses. Those should be our priorities. And in our case, they are always, which is why we also slow features down. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the emphasis on the community and doing the right thing is something that, uh, you know, you don't oftentimes hear, um, but even when you do hear them, Sometimes they run smack into the realities of business, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think was a mistake, I think was a mistake, was uh, the early web and the early social media trying to figure out how to, to monetize immediately went to advertising, which immediately went to how much data can we scrape, which immediately led to, uh, you know, a lot of downstream issues. How, uh, how are you working to, to monetize the platform? Uh, and yet, you know, still achieve your your uh, your values. Yeah, for sure. So um, this is a great question. <laughs> and we did early on. I did a feasibility analysis to basically say, hey, what's the reality of us being able to actually hit break even and and afford what we want to be able to do? And it took a lot of research, a lot of time. It took us probably six months to really figure out. But the goal was basically to build something where we weren't ad supported, we weren't collecting data or selling ads in any way, shape, or form. We weren't selling any type of data. So one, when you join Submit, there are no ads, period. Zero. Uh, two, we don't sell any data. We don't even collect any data that would be helpful to sell because we don't care about that kind of information, period. Uh, anything that we do infer, you can see about yourself. So if we've inferred data about you on the platform to say, hey, we think you like these things, you'll be able to see that. You can also just remove it if you don't think that we're right, right? So you can do all those types of pieces. And then how we monetize the platform is through what we call backing. And it's basically just a subscription. You pay, uh, the base cost is $6 a month. 
and the lifetime cost right now is $240 to just buy it out forever. Um, and we basically use that as our, our revenue driver. We also have some benefactors that help. So some folks that are just uh, you know high net worth individuals, they have absolutely no influence. They have no guidance over to what we do, but they've just chosen to give us a larger amount of money to help. And then I personally put in enough to keep us through two years uh, with just a little over 12 staff going. And so we set specific goals each month. Uh, we're getting about like 50-ish to 60% of the way there most of the time. And our research showed that after about a year and a half of kind of operation, we should be able to be at the inflection point where we, re- we have enough community support to drive the, the platform. Now, the cool thing is, is you know, 10 years ago, this stuff was super expensive. And 10 years ago, if I wanted to go build a social network that held you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of photos, it would have been super expensive. But today, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. It's, it's pretty damn good. I mean, we spend probably, I don't know, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a month on CDN. And you know, even just five years ago, that would have been like 10x that. So it's come down a huge amount. We use modern technologies to help us do that. We continuously move, like Cloudflare just released R2, um, which has free egress. And so for us, we were originally saying, hey, video is probably going to be something that you have to pay for. But now with free egress, it doesn't need to be, right? Video can be something that's free. Um, so we're looking at how we explore that and all those other types of pieces because infrastructure providers keep making it easier for us to do, cheaper for us to do. So that gives us the ability to have more freedom. We have already a fantastic group of backers. It's like just about, I think a little over like six or 700 folks now that are either monthly subscribers or have backed lifetime that have been a huge help to the early stage of just making us understand the viability of the model that we prove that we wanted to prove out. And so we've done a pretty good job so far. We feel confident that that will be the right model for us moving forward. Uh, and yeah, that's where we're kind of looking at. You know, we are set up as a nonprofit. We completely understand what it takes to try and build something, not even one-tenth of the scale of what you're doing. And the fact that you have found this community and built this support is really remarkable. And it speaks to the power and the need of what you're building. And that, I think, is my ultimate point in my in my silly question. It is I think that, that when you have people that believe in what you're doing, it really makes a world of difference, not only in your sustainability when things are difficult, but also just in proving to the world that what you're doing is necessary and what you're doing matters. A hundred percent. I mean, we were, we, I've always known, and I used to be many, 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 many years ago now, just about over 10, over 10 years ago, uh, I used to work in FetLife. And so I've seen it from the other side and I've seen what those platforms do and how they operate. And when I left, I knew that I wanted to build something that, people actually wanted to use because even 10 years ago people were unhappy with it existed and um it took me a little bit of time to get there but i was blown away even today still by how much demand there was by how much people really wanted something that just took the core concepts of like human decency <laughs> privacy and just some semblance of security and and a level of transparency where we tell you about what's going on say hey this is what we're working on this is why we're doing it and this is what's happening and as soon as we started to do that more, more, and more people just started to join and get excited about it. I mean, we have over a hundred thousand people on our wait list in less than six months. Not yeah, not even six months. Uh, four, four and a half to five months, and um, we expected to have maybe a thousand. And we kind of ran out of the door. We're like, yeah, maybe we get a thousand people. It'll be great. It'll be no problem. Now, had we had a thousand people, it also would have been a lot easier. But uh, it's, it's a different story. So you just said something that perked my ears up, but I want to be careful in how I ask it. 
not thinking of any specific platform or company and certainly not naming any names because there are lots and lots of kinky websites and dating services and apps and things out there now. There are. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the unexpected or unknown risks to users are? Some of the things that in your market research, in your analysis, in your own user experience, you've seen that other people might not know they're vulnerable to on some of these other platforms. The biggest one that you're going to see probably more than anything else is going to be around your data security. And so the large majority of the platforms that exist today have used off-the-shelf things that are just insecure by default. They don't know how to set them up. They don't configure them properly. And then to your point earlier, we can go find about your Facebook, your, you know, your kid's soccer event from their Facebook. We can go find your your Pinterest accounts. But those types of platforms that exist today generally exist to make money. And so the biggest problem that most of these platforms have today is that they're just trying to go out there and make a quick buck at the expense of your data, at the expense of your security, at the expense of your privacy. The things that you really want to look for, if you're going to go look for a social network to join or a dating site to join, and dating sites are something almost entirely different, but um, it's first that they have real privacy policies in terms of use. And what I mean by that is you can tell when you go look at a privacy policy, if it's been written by a bot, a computer, or a service, or if it's actually something that's been, you know, had the time taken to be put together correctly and truly explain what's actually happening with what your data. The second that you see that, you know the company's probably doing something at least a little bit right. And then second to that is terms of use is, you know, do they have one? Do they make sense? Is there something that's actually been put together there? Or is it just something that they stole from some cookie cutter? And you'll be able to tell really easily because it'll talk about the features or it won't talk about the features. Um, But, and then, you know, third, be careful with what you share anywhere. Even on our platform, there are bots that exist that scrape every single dating site platform known to man. We can stop them as best we can, but we can't stop all of them. No one can. Anybody that tells you different, they're lying. <laughs> it just isn't possible. So be comfortable and be okay with whatever you share to not, uh, at least publicly on those platforms, to be somewhere else at some point. Someone might steal it, a bot might steal it, it might get categorized. Now, it, on our platform, if you share something privately, right, within one of the circles with only your followers, then those those types of data can't be scraped because those people aren't following you, they aren't in your circles, you're not going to add a bot to your circle, at least we hope not. Uh, and we have pretty good active technology to stop that from happening. So there, there are risks inherent with anything that you join, including us. And uh, we try and just make sure that that's something that people are aware of and that they're mindful of what they're sharing online. And then on the dating sites, every woman that you talk to is basically a bot. I'm sorry, but just like 99% of them are all bots. I always go back to the Ashley Madison leak where it was like 2 million cheating husbands and like three real women. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's, that, I'm convinced that all dating websites are just pretty much just like a pool of real men and then like three real women and 4,000 bots. <laughs> Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We're running out of, uh, out of time, though. And I know you said you have a, a wait list. We do. Uh, can, can people get on that? Yeah, How do you, people- can go, you can go to submit.gg uh, and you can get onto the wait list. You can read more about the features in the platform. Happen to have a connection, you know, if we if we know somebody that might have an insight on submit, how long is that waiting list for those people? Can be a little shorter. You know, we can, uh, we, have, we got some buttons we can push. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about this. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. It's been great. 
And thank you for tuning in to Securing Sexuality, your source of information you need to protect yourself and your relationships. Securing Sexuality is brought to you by the Bound Together Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, together with our conference sponsor, My Pleasure Plus. From the bedroom to the cloud, we're here to help you navigate safe sex in a digital age. Be sure to check out our website, securingsexuality.com, for links to more information about the topics we discussed here today. And join us again for more fascinating conversations about the intersection of sexuality and technology. Have a great week.